Hello, and welcome to The Pulse, a podcast dedicated to examining the business of healthcare. My name's Lori Cox, and on today's episode, we have Dr. Kush Singh, a very well-known risk care management consultant, and we are going to be discussing the pulse of the risk adjustment area. Thank you for joining us, and can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thank you, Lori. Myself, Kush Singh, I am a clinician who works currently in the Medicare, managed care space. And I, for a number of years, have been a certified coder with AAPC and AHIMA as a clinical documentation improvement specialist. I have a MD clinician background. And for a number of years, I've worked in healthcare data sets, running some clinical trials, managing them. And for last about a decade or a little more, I have been with Medicare risk adjustment, overseeing some of the risk adjustment programs in the past for several health plans and a full-time consultant with Granite GRC Consulting as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And you were just actually speaking at AAPC's RiskCon this week, right? That is correct. Yes. It was a spectacular event. We had a lot of attendees join this event. And this is one of its kind. APC has brought this show together with all of the risk adjustment SMEs that we have um, as certified coders and auditors, and the audience was great. That's awesome. Yeah, risk adjustment is really growing. Um, So I actually read recently that there are about 12 million people enrolled in the healthcare marketplace under the ACA is that's that's grown, right? Since I obviously since it first began so many years ago, but I guess I didn't realize that it was that big. Yeah, ACA market is is growing ever since it was introduced. And Medicare Advantage risk adjustment has been there for a long time. The models have changed. So both of these programs are risk registered and primarily Medicare Advantage Part C risk adjustment is at the forefront. And that is where most of the activity and you know conversation is happening. Well, that's why I'm glad that you're joining us today because there's been a lot of changes, I feel like, um, since the program obviously started, but recently, and obviously COVID has affected everything in healthcare. But one of the things that I feel like we've seen lately is that several Medicare Advantage organizations have been in the news because CMS is trying to take their money back. They're saying that these organizations were wrongly paid and we want our money back. So what do you think about that? Well, as as far as every government program goes, they always have uh, an oversight component, which is built into the Code of Federal Regulations that the program has to be audited has to be um, corrected for wherever the overpayments have been. And just on the regular FIFA service side, there there is always this RIC, RAC auditor activity, which, you know, goes out to practices who are overbilling some E&M visits and some procedures and have you. Uh, These these audits, however, in Medicare Advantage are kind of different. They they come with... uh, a different set of rules which are under risk adjustment data validation program and the guide itself puts out the information to the auditors that how are they going to audit now what we see now currently is primarily 2015 2016 audits and 
And the audits have been initiated by the OIG and several results have come out. And this is what we were actually speaking about at, at the RISCON during my session with Sherry Bernard, of course. Mm-hmm. She's an expert in this area. She is. We have, yeah, she's fabulous um, and very well informed. Over the last three years, we have noticed increased activity on by OIG and Department of Justice. And OIG is always the Office of Integrity trying to find out where the overpayments have been or who is in in the game of uh, making more bucks out of what they should. So right. they are initiating these audits. And Department of Justice, on the other hand, is receiving complaints by employees of former health plans, provider groups, that something is wrong and people are overcoding. Now, there is a difference here. The difference is in the FIFA service side, you are overcoding for the level of service or the procedures. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to Medicare Advantage audits, this is about telling the government that the patient pool is sicker, which comes to the data saying, I want to tell my health plan that my patients are sicker. Hence, I'm going to use a certain set of codes, which are those ICD-10 HCC codes. And in this process, there is a big industry which has been created to support the health plans, to support the providers. And all of all of these vendors in this space continue to do uh, innovative tasks. And that has got the attention of the OIG, and that's where the activity is coming out with audits. And I want our listeners to know that if you try to go to the website of the OIG and the, their work plan mm-hmm. and the results that have come out, there there were four reports in 2022 and about another five in 2021 in which OIG came out with a certain audit of health plans and they're clawing back millions of dollars for a contract that finished in 2016. Mm. We have many more years of contract audit coming in for many health plans. We have over 1,200 health plans. So there has been some, you know, lacking, I would say, because just because of COVID, just because of it always delays anything that they want to go in and audit for. Mm -hmm. This is an emerging area. I I feel this is going to get even more busier than what it is. And I agree. I was actually just on the work plan looking for a couple items this morning. Um, I feel like some of the other types of audits, like the RADVs and stuff, kind of got put on the back burner with COVID. But it doesn't seem like these types of risk adjustment audits really did because they're really pushing for all of these, all of this money to be paid back, like you said, even from 2016, which I think is crazy. It is. And in one particular case, which has got everyone's attention in, in this risk adjustment area, is the Kaiser whistleblower case. Yes, I saw that. And it's it, it ties back to some of the things in conversation for, you know, last five years, I have been, you know, talking to some people I know at Kaiser and some people in the industry. And there was something odd about it, but I did not the details until we read this, everybody got this glimpse of what DOJ has posted. Right. 
and as a combined complaint and what are the next steps they're taking. $1 billion for addendums and have you all those things that were rebuilt. Mm-hmm. $1 billion is a big amount of money. I mean, how many zeros are behind right. it? Right. It's, yeah. And and when you read the complaint, who are these people who are saying that it was an overkill? Mm-hmm. You are patients with these codes, which physicians don't even want to treat the patient for. This is not a condition that they they usually treat, but they were asked to report that in the chart so that it can be billed. And some of the things that I read as a physician, I would say I would not like to read or write anything on somebody's uh, have. <laughs> it's difficult to explain, but I feel concerned for my clinician friends. Everybody who's out there who's trying to listen to their own coding team or auditing, they need to flag you know, certain of those codes to, to compliance and say, mm-hmm. we have been asked to put these codes, but we don't even treat them and we don't agree with these diagnoses. Why are we doing it? Yeah, it's- I agree with that too. And not just from a risk adjustment perspective, but from fee-for-service or any, you know, DRG even, you don't want to give a patient a diagnosis that they either don't have or that you are not managing or treating on that day. And it seems like that's kind of what was happened just so that they could increase their RAF scores and, and increase that payment, right? So that's, I was really shocked to see that amount to that billion dollars. I'm glad that's not coming out of my pocket. That's for sure. Well, I would correct you a little bit. It True. has been paid from your pocket, right? It's all <laughs> You're right. It affects all, all right. of us. All of us, and and it is coming out from the taxpayers' money and going to the Medicare fund, and the Medicare fund pays for all these programs, and it's the time to do the right thing. So I I would say, you know, those physicians, coders, everybody who are who have been in this process and they feel something is not right, and they'll take it up to the compliance officers, and in Kaiser's case. Why Why did these people come out? Because they tried internally and, and said those things to their own, you know, senior leadership. And look at the Sutter Health case, for example. You know, very senior, experienced auditor tried to explain and fight back to the compliance officers, and she was fired. Oh, my. And, and why would not she come out and complain? Right. So these are the things where where people will uh, will see more action coming in. And it's very important for us to do the right thing to protect the integrity of the system. And I feel that uh, every coder plays a very important role. Every physician is doing a spectacular job taking care of the patients. And there is always a business case for it. But when it comes to doing the right thing, it's everybody's responsibility. And I always say coders are also taking part in clinical decision-making process. They are a part of the team. They want to do the right thing. They code it out because it's essential to report the right data mm-hmm. uh, for various purposes. Data is always leading to good research, advancements in clinical care. And coders are at the forefront of making sure the quality of care is good and the documentation is is uh, ready for audit in case somebody wants to come and check. And all those components and and. We have to protect the physicians mm-hmm. who may be aware of these things and they might be asked to write some things 
which they're not even treating or they don't agree with. Yeah, I, it's so interesting. Um, gosh, we could talk probably for hours about this, but right now we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and answer some more questions. We'll be right back. At AAPC Services, we help healthcare organizations like yours maximize efficiency, mitigate risk, and prevent revenue loss. Our credentialed experts provide services for insurance audit appeals, coding and billing accuracy, accounts receivable audits, corporate integrity audits, and much more. Find out how we can help your organization overcome challenges and meet its goals. Learn more at aapc.com business. Thank you, everybody. Now we're back with Dr. Cushing. We've been having some very interesting conversations on risk adjustment um, and some of the recent things. So let me ask you this. Because of all of these recent cases, what changes do you see coming in the next few years? Boy, so you're asking me to look into a crystal ball. <laughs> so, so here is my crystal ball, you know, if you let me have it for a moment. Absolutely. This, this space is heating up as, as I see and various other, my, my colleagues that I often interact with, we all see more audits coming in. And let's say audits are usual. Sutter Health settled a case. Davida paid millions of dollars back. And the other cases that are pending, they will also be settled in one way or the other. United is United Health is uh, actually facing a very big lawsuit, even bigger than what I think Kaiser is. So really? is at, oh yeah, that that. Okay, so let me tell you about that one. As yeah, well. tell me about that because I haven't heard that one yet. Okay, so United has been sued. Again, a whistleblower case, a um, couple of United employees came out and one of them was a finance director. There has been uh, a greater activity, I would say, enormous activity in chart retrieval and coding retrospective, going back and, and looking at these charts which were from you know two years before and bringing new HCC codes out and interpreting some of the guidelines in a way that benefits uh, recapture of HCCs. And these diagnosis codes often are not fully supported in this audit. And that is what we have seen in mm -hmm. some of the recent contract audits. So during this process, somebody just noticed that nobody wants to delete anything. They just want to add. Oh, interesting. And when when the complaint came out, and even in the Kaiser case and others, they were all upswings. One way, look, going up. Less than 1% delete, and you can imagine the rest is all added. Adding. Mm -hmm. And then OIG is also looking at in-home health risk assessments that how they add so many new diagnoses when these patients are visited by the health plan, uh, nurse practitioners or vendors hired by the health plans to go in, in patients' houses and do some risk assessments, do some tests and, and report some new diagnoses. Obviously, they are also clinicians who are you know, licensed to do that. And health plans take that data 
compile with supplemental data and push it in. OIG reported, there's another report out, said about, I think, over $3 billion has been uh, processed, and out of which almost one health plan received 65% of it. Oh. And, you know, anybody can put that math together one and one is like, right. who is that health plan who will receive 65? And obviously, who has the biggest number of beneficiaries in uh -huh. the country? I did. So things are also boiling under the hood and the smoke has just started coming out. And that case is actually going to run into many more billions of dollars. Oh, wow. And mm -hmm. again, coming out of our pocket, you know, down the road, right? HRA diagnosis, the health risk assessment diagnosis were, uh, they reported almost 2.6 billion has been already paid. Oh. And, and this is all, uh, this is all uh, OIG's website, and there is a link to it. Now, the, going back to the crystal ball, this, there has been a greater action by, I would say, the momentum through OIG's efforts, Department of Justice efforts, which they talked to their colleagues at CMS. And quite interestingly, about six months back, Don Burbick, who was a former CMS administrator for this program, came out and just simply in his own plain words said, this is a gold rush. People are really? just getting, oh yeah, this is a, this was big, big news for Don Burwick and another colleague of his to come out and talk to, to the rest of the country. And I saw the recording many times and I read through it and it has been reported by people in the industry. So it's like a tennis match. And people are blaming for, for the program's um, design or the lack of oversight, which increases this pressure to have more oversight, to have more audits. So my prediction number one is more audits are coming, which is actually built in the built into the program chapter seven itself, that the programs will be audited for right. overpayment. But once you have these coming in and you have evidence of data, then it becomes even more important. And if they were to start auditing left and right, I mean, you're shooting fish in a barrel. Right. Yeah. This is. So, wow. Um, do you think, so one of the questions I know that I get asked a lot, and I'm wondering what your opinion is, is, you know, there's only certain documentation that we can pull the HCC or the diagnosis codes from, right? Um, one point of contention was like the health risk assessment forms. So do you see that changing? Do you think we'll be able to pull diagnoses from other types of documentations? Well, it should be if the health risk assessment is done the right way. Yeah. And the PC is actually the one who's doing it. The primary care provider who knows the patient well, who examines the patient, who has the history of the patient in his own system, and he can make those decisions what the patient has. Mm -hmm. All the people do is report what they see, what they diagnose, what they understand, because their years of practice and their, their medical school knowledge, they concluded diagnosis and its severity. And those health risk assessments can show more risks for the patient. Let's say a, a, a new health risk assessment comes out to say, there is a possible uh, diagnosis of peripheral artery disease. Mm -hmm. This patient 
has some narrowing or of the distal arteries and should be examined further, should be followed up further for um, coughing, chronic cough that the patient was a smoker many years ago, which mm -hmm. back to the PCP, let them take care of it. As right. long as we are serving the patient, patient is going to be the number one priority. And if Absolutely. the patient is put patient-centered care. So now you put health risk assessments by knowledgeable clinicians, bring it to the primary care physician and take care of the patient. Find if the patient is at risk of uh, uh, lung cancer or any other screening and all those hideous measures that we have to do all the time. Mm -hmm. Try to take repeated you know, blood pressure readings so that if person is already chronically hypertensive, we want to prevent every stroke we can. We cannot right. have, you know, all those things are really important. And that's what health plans are committed to doing. So I think health risk assessments overall have a big value. But now coming to the program itself and the risk adjustment and documentation and integrity, we have to differentiate prophylaxis or screening from actual confirmed diagnosis because that's where the rule is. Mm -hmm. It's black or white. Mm -hmm. One or are you treating prophylactically? Are you treating with a confirmed diagnosis? Mm -hmm. So that's where the line is drawn. Right, and and providers again, like you said, I I love that you said that the providers went to school, went to medical school to treat patients, um, and we need to make sure that from a coder's perspective, um, we have to make sure we're there to support them and make sure that they're reimbursed for what they're actually doing. And so the fact that all these lawsuits are now coming out, I think, um, brings a lot of us down, coders, providers across the board, because we feel like here we've done all this work and because a few people decided to, you know, beat the system, so to speak, um, we're all going to get punished for it in some way, shape, or form. I hope that doesn't happen. Um, but it's very important. Again, we all need to work together. We're all here to treat the patient at the end of the day. Exactly. Everybody is a part of the part of the chain. As as one of those history lessons is John F. Kennedy was asking a janitor at the time of the Apollo launch, like, what do you do? And uh -huh. the janitor probably replied saying, I'm putting the man on the moon. And this is what we are. We are a part of a chain supporting our clinicians, supporting the system, taking care of the patients. Every coder auditor is going to be an integral part of decision-making process, pushing it forward, mm -hmm. making sure it can get seen by the provider and doesn't miss anything. Right. It's very important for all of us to work together. Yes. Well, I thank you so much for your time today. So before I let you go, um, tell me, what do you feel like the pulse is um, of risk adjustment coming in the future? So, or let me reword it this way and say, as a provider yourself, what advice can you give to providers participating in these managed Medicare plans going forward? Well, there are several things I can say. Uh, the first thing I would begin with, do not treat a uh, ICD-10 code. Right. Treat patient. Yes, <laughs> so <we laughs> I like not, that. Not, yeah, we're not treating anybody to an ICD-10 code, which we have, or a provider should be pushed for. Mm -hmm. That please diagnose this, please confirm this. Mm -hmm. No, we 
Providers, all of my colleagues, everybody who is a provider out there, do not treat to a code. Treat the patient to what you think the patient has. Mm -hmm. And be specific and give enough evidence that you have managed, treated yourself, that condition, and report. Because this documentation is not for you. It's for the court. It's for the legal system, for audit. So whatever conversation you're having and you're treating and managing that day has to be reported. Mm -hmm. And then let a good coder take care of the rest of the stuff. Yeah. There is no shortcut here. Yeah, I agree choosing, with you 100%. Yeah, choosing, choosing a preformed HCC code template or trying to get to HCC code all the time is not relevant at this point. Right. You, as a clinician, everybody should watch their documentation. They should not be cloning. There should be less of copy-paste, I would say. <laughs> I like that too. <laughs> so, and I tell this always that you don't have to do entire thing same to same. Just see and write what you did that day and think and ink and let the others take care of the rest of the things they have to do. And listen to your good auditors. Absolutely. If something not making sense to you, just simply decline. Say, I, I'm not interested in in diagnosing this one, what you're asking me to <laughs> do not diagnose <laughs> based on someone's opinion. Right. Yeah. The clinicians should, again, diagnose, treat the patient and let the coders and the auditors take care of stuff on the back end. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. And Great. I would have one more thing for my coding community and coding auditors. And for them, it's really important not to follow any substandard coding guidelines. Just stick to the ICD-10. The best interpretation is out there. There is always room to increase your knowledge. Even I'm increasing my knowledge every day, trying to find best ways to interpret it. And when in doubt, reach out. Reach yeah. out to your colleagues and say, what do I do in this case? Because yeah. diagnosis coding is different from CPD coding. Yes, it is. And you have to validate the diagnosis. So there is always room to improve more and keep learning. I agree. I always tell everybody I'm a lifelong learner. I learn stuff constantly. And I think a lot of us coders and auditors have to think along that same line too. Um, again, we think more like clinicians sometimes. We can't diagnose a patient, obviously, but we can think like a clinician and read the note and pull puzzle pieces is what we always call it here. We pull those puzzle pieces together to get the diagnosis and the CPT codes sometimes. Yeah. And okay. APC... A lot of good sessions out there. There are new pro certification course on CRC and CDEO. They, I love it. I love the content. It's it's ever growing, ever improving. A lot of good stuff at APC. I think they're at the forefront of this. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks again, everyone, for listening. We're out of time for today, but please join us on our next episode of The Pulse. Let's talk about your risk adjustment goals and how AAPC services can help. From HCC coding to RADV audit services, we offer a full catalog of solutions to help you capture risk burdens and improve risk score accuracy. Learn more at aapc.com business.